Ah, this is pretty nice, eh, Lindsay? I love it. New York City outdoor dining, I feel like I'm in Paris or something. Ugh, me too. Between the pandemic and the election and my ED, it's been a hard year. Actually, it hasn't been hard. That's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one, but don't make me feel guilty. You know I haven't had as much time to do my cock kegels as I've wanted. Oh, stop. Enough worrying about that. We're eating out. Alfresco, it's date night. Let's try to forget about all our fears and anxieties. I propose a toast. To To our health. To our health. Oh my god, that scared the shit out of me. Me too. I actually peed a little. As you know, my pelvic floor after three kids is like a frat house bathroom. Yikes. Certainly has a few stories to tell. (laughs) Nothing a nice night under the stars can't fix though, right? You're right, Frank. That is really loud. I can't believe they're putting up scaffolding right next to us like this. Oh my god, it's so loud. (laughs) Only in New York, right? (laughs) I think that's our waiter coming over with the appetizers. I'm going to change into my hors d'oeuvres mask. Wait, how many masks did you bring? One for each course and one for each pairing. Why is the sewage truck backing up towards our table? Ugh, I don't know, but it smells terrible. All right, folks, here we are with the wild boar ribs starter and arugula salad. The chef actually recommends you try to incorporate the sights and sounds of New York City into your dining experience. So I guess just try to imagine that sewage truck transporting you to the farm our heritage-raised wild boar grew up on. Enjoy. Mmm, wow, it really does smell like sewage. Oh, great. It's the Caribbean drum band from the subway, and they're setting up right next to us to play calypso covers of popular music. Oh god, I'd rather listen to the sledgehammer. You're listening to Bricolage. Truth, comedy, politics. With your host, Lev. On this episode of Bricolage, we'll hear some TikTok set pieces, be teased by a new zoophilistic podcast, and get the chance to chat with hilarious and talented stand-up comedian Sarah Tolomage. Plus, as always, trivia with soon-to-be new dad Josh Ellis. But first, sponsors! This episode of Bricolage is brought to you by Voluptuous Boy, the newest comedy special from Sarah Tolomash, available on YouTube, Spotify, and a fuck ton of other places. Voluptuous Boy by Sarah Tolomash. You need this. Also by employees in retail saying welcome in when I enter their store. This isn't the Red Cross after an earthquake, it's a fucking gap. A hello will suffice. Finally, this episode of Bricolage is brought to you by the unwarranted confidence of an elderly Caucasian man attempting to dance with his much younger trophy wife. She's casually dancing. Meanwhile, this guy looks like he's on the Bataan Death March. The cocksure aplomb of an old white man trying to dance. It's intoxicating. And now, Bricolage presents clips of Sarah Tolomash on TikTok that I took without her permission. Guys, I, uh, I thought I wanted a baby, but then I had to carry around an umbrella all day while it wasn't raining. I was like, ugh. I want a dog right now, except my husband. He doesn't want to have a dog. I wish there was a way to trick my husband into having a dog like you can with a baby. 
it's so much easier. You know, like I can't just get my husband drunk and then wake up with a dog the next day. Or I'm like, oh my God, we have to keep it <laughs> for religious reasons. Isn't it weird that we used to have milkmen? Like there was a time period where these guys would come to your house and then deliver milk and then you would have sex with them. I'm at that time in my life where I really want a baby bump of cocaine. So I think that's like any time. You know that saying that you're born into this world alone and then you die alone? I've also been doing a lot of alone in the middle. Now here's the question. Jonah Hill was hospitalized with advanced bronchitis after apparently snorting too much prop cocaine while filming what 2013 movie? Once again, actor Jonah Hill was hospitalized with advanced bronchitis after apparently snorting too much prop cocaine while filming what 2013 movie? My guest is a stand-up comedian who has been a featured performer on NBC's Last Comic Standing, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, The Late Late Show with James Corden, and Comedy Central in a few different ways. She is also a talented sketch writer and performer, a self-proclaimed social media defluencer, <laughs> and the co-host of Vag Podcast. Her debut comedy album, Voluptuous Boy, was released on July 21st, 2020. She is Sarah Tolomash. Welcome to Bricolage, Sarah. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for my credit. <laughs> yes, your press kit was surprisingly easy to crib from. I actually, I have watched some of those performances and uh, I've enjoyed them all. I did not know that you were on Last Comic Standing. Was that like, did you have to tone down your typically vulgar programming for network? I do happen to have some clean TV stuff. Okay. I do run vulgar. <laughs> you run a little hot. I, uh, yeah. yeah, you do. So I did. That was years ago. That was like, I think I was about maybe four years in at the most. So how long? have you been doing comedy we should start with that i guess right so long i don't even want to keep track anymore because it depresses me because i always feel like i should be further along in my career but i think close wow. to 20 that years dates back to like middle school high school you're 24 years yes. old if i'm not mistaken <laughs> <laughs> Lots of Botox. That's all I've been doing in pandemic is just filling my face with fillers and then Botoxing. So I'm going to look really great when yeah. I come out. It's all well and good. <laughs> and then you start doing it to your butt. And that's when stuff like bad stuff can happen. Isn't that crazy? I'm like infatuated when I think Madonna got butt implants. And it looks like when she wears pants that her diaper is full. Or she's been in a pool with a diaper on. Yeah. Did she do that before she became English? Like when did she get an English accent? That was before. She's had an English accent, I want to say, close to 20 years now. Yeah, but she's from Detroit. Yes, and lived in <laughs> New York for a good but period. But she married Guy Ritchie. She was over there a lot. Let's not talk about Madonna for too long. <laughs> in comedy circles, you also go by one name. So you're very, that was my way of segueing back to your comedy career. Yeah, that's smart. It's <laughs> very natural. You were talking about how you've been doing this for a really long time. What was the first joke you remember telling that made people laugh? Maybe that's like before your quote unquote career. But. I think as a kid, I remember. I remember my parents had a friend of theirs come and have dinner with us and then I we were just talking and I think the playboy had come into the conversation and then I piped in 
thing that Playboy, because I was really young and I was into stickers, so it makes sense why I went into this, that Playboy <laughs> should do scratch and sniff stickers on their magazines. And they thought it was so funny. And you're just like, I like that. Whatever that was, I like. Yeah. And then your parents were taken to Child Protective Services, <laughs> yes. which I, I understand must have been difficult for you. Really, the comedy comes from the darkness of not having parents from then on after. <laughs> Naturally, yes. So that would probably be the earliest joke. But I remember, I think I started consciously writing stand-up when I was in high school. Oh, really? You were writing stand-up in high school? Like, it was it was a one-woman concept. That's how you felt most comfortable. Yeah. That's what made sense to you. I wow. started probably my junior or sophomore year trying to think of jokes. And then I probably, I didn't go on stage until I was 21. So it took about close to three years after I graduated high school that I would do my first stand-up set. Where was your first stand-up set? It was in Houston, where you're from? My first stand-up set was like, probably, I shouldn't have done it, but you're so naive when you start. You just don't know any better. So I had, because I my family growing up had HBO, I was aware of the HBO Aspen Comedy Festival. Yeah. And so I was staying at my brother's house or apartment in Austin for a good week or so. And I remember I used to go to the back pages to look for like, I don't know. Weird sex stuff or? Well, at the time I also played guitar and I always wanted to be in a band. So I would look for shit like that as well, like joining things. Yeah. And so I saw this ad that was like, do you think you're funny? It was like a cattle call for the Aspen Comedy Fest. So I showed up early morning. It was like a week from the time that I saw that advertisement. And then it was all these people standing in line and they let us in. And then everyone performed two minutes. They did a drawing. So I think I was like the 50th person that went up, which is, there was a lot of people that went up. So that was like a pretty decent spot. And I remember within the first 10 acts that I saw when it started, it was like, oh, okay. These people have an act. I don't. I, this is my open mic. This is this was the first time I ever did stand up. And I did my two minutes. And a two minutes at that level seemed like an eternity. And I didn't even, I don't even think I did my full two minutes. And I have to say, I wasn't the worst that went up, but I was nowhere near being anywhere good. And then there were a few comics that came up to me afterwards and asked me where I'm started or just started talking. And then um, I said it was Houston and they were from Houston. And then they told me about the open mic. And then a few days later, I went back to school and then I changed my class schedule so I can hit the mics Monday night. Wow. So I just started doing mics ever since. I never missed a Monday after that. Wow, that's amazing. What an awesome origin story. I definitely did not <laughs> expect to get that good of an answer out of that. I thought you were going to be like, it was my dream. I went to an open mic. But instead, uh, yeah, that's like a very inspirational story. Um, clearly, you had some natural gift for it or people wouldn't have wanted to talk to you. They would have been like, oh, that's that like woman who thinks she's hot shit. I know. I think that way. But then when you're like hindsight and you're like most comics, even back then, were mainly males. And then I was 21. And oh, so they were just creepy. Yeah, I think so nothing has changed. Okay. Some of them ended up being my friends for years. But yeah, I sometimes in hindsight, you're like, you know, it probably didn't hurt. I was a, a decent looking 21 year old. So guys would be like, you should come to the mic. Yeah, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we need more girls yeah. to come to the mic. <laughs> this is how men in Texas talk, I assume. Yeah, like Sylvester Stallone and Rocky. That's how they talk to me. <laughs> I think I was doing Frank Stallone, oh. that voice. <laughs> Let's actually get into Voluptuous Boy because this is not WTF. I don't know why I like started with some origin story. It felt like the right thing to ask yeah, you, but um, you're in busy. You're doing press all day. You're doing press all week for this, your debut album, yeah. Voluptuous Boy. You tweeted and said, I will come on anybody's podcast. I'm promoting this album. And I, I think was one of the first people to respond and say,
say, oh my God, please. Yeah. Usually I get people on the downward arc, <laughs> like they are ready for an asylum and their, their last stop is here. And instead, in this instance, I've gotten... I don't know. I feel like comics always think they're on the downward. So it's great. Yeah. I'd love to do it. You recorded this right before the pandemic, right? I did. And then in hindsight, you're like, that was crazy that I didn't realize. I think that was the second to the last set that I did. And I'm so grateful that I managed to get my album done right before that. Yeah, it's crazy. How long have you been telling the jokes that you tell on the album? Like years, I assume. Most of them were within the year or so, Mark. But then I do have some ones that I was like, that I had been doing probably close to five years that were on there. Wow. But there were some that I actually was like, I really like this, but I probably should have not put it on the album and then added more to it. But then I was like, fuck it, I can do whatever I want. I'll add on to it after the album's done too. Yeah, so did you think about your comedy in a different way as you were structuring the set for a comedy album? Like, were you sort of trying to do some more cohesive, like, was this your dark side of the moon? Was this your Sergeant <laughs> Peppers? Like, Sergeant were you, Peppers. Obviously, that's ridiculous, but I know you're a big music fan. Were you conceiving of it as an album and how that would work and, and segues and stuff? Or not? Really? I wish I was that, like, in tune or, like, strong of an artist to have that where I'm like, this album is all about this arc, but it was really, like, all the jokes that I had been doing that I had liked in the last few years, and then the order of it matters, because I'm used to doing 15-minute sets in the city, right. so you form your set list, what you stick around, and then you move things in and out of that 15-minute set list, so when you have to do, like, 45 minutes, it's a little bit harder to create a, an order, and I think you should be mindful of that, so I definitely, originally, the second half of my album was going to be the first half, but then I thought a lot of that first half is pretty blue, that I feel like if you were listening to my album and you wanted to get to know me, it would be better if I had cleaner material up oh, front so it wouldn't be off-putting to you. And then if you were like trusted me and liked it, then you would be okay with where it went after that. So I definitely put more like of the conceptual ideas and dirtier or darker theme stuff at the second half of the album than I did on the first half. The kids will get sent to bed midway through <laughs> listening to the album. It's two hours long. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so a couple things I want I want to talk about. Um, and I have not heard the album because I'm unprofessional. Yeah, that's fine. But I, I have seen you do stand-up several times. So I, You've seen the joke. I'm a big TikTok user because, as you know, I'm a pedophile. No, yeah. um, I, I periodically pick up TikTok because I find it to be very entertaining to try and understand what's happening with people who are younger than me and will soon replace me ideologically as I become obsolete. Yeah. And I watched some like teenage girl lip sync to one of your stand-up bits like a couple months ago and it made me so happy. And then I was like, well, Sarah's doing an album now. So does that mean that you're going to get played on like, I guess you probably have been before because this isn't like the first time anything you've ever said has been recorded. I know you've done like compilations and stuff. Is the idea like now you'll be on like the Sirius XM channel and like all these other like kind of comedy places for exposure and and like the little like teenage girl in like Des Moines will be like obsessed with Sarah. Like, cause I love that concept. For a long time, I was like, who's gonna buy this? And then as I was working on it, and then more I was, you know, you find out what you're, where it's gonna be on and reachable. And when they're like, this will get on playlists for Sirius and XM and all that. Then you're like, oh, this is actually a really great way for more people to see your material and share it and tell people it's a broader audience. And I never thought of it that way. I was just 
just thinking that like fans would only buy it, but I didn't realize it would get streamed. And then now I'm just like, oh, I should have just done this a lot earlier in my career. Yeah. And the TikTok thing. Have you thought about that? Does that? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's a whole culture that's so different from the other social media. I think it's a lot younger, but there's also a lot of people around my age and a lot older that are getting on it. And then um, I started it during quarantine and I thought it would be fun. And because I don't have like a place to do stand up, I thought it, I was like, maybe I'll just deliver. I don't feel like captioning it was lazy. So I was like, I'll just deliver a few jokes that I like from my couch. And so I put this one joke on there and then it just hit like wildfire. It was so weird. I've never had anything go viral before. And then TikTok has this weird culture thing. If they like it, you can isolate the audio. There's a function and then you can lip sync to other people's audio. And so there are times where I'm flipping through on finding new stuff to follow. I will come across it and it makes me cringe. And a lot of people were like, are you weirded out by it? I'm like, I'm, I am, but it is a form of flattery. So it's nice. Yeah, totally. I mean, I was weirded out by it. Cause I was like, wait, why do I know that <laughs> voice? And then I looked in the lower left where it says like where the audio comes from. And it said like S Tolomash. And I was like, what the fudge? Yeah. They give you credit. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, that's cool that they give you that. It's like forced to give the original poster credit or whatever. So it's not just like somebody taking credit for you, but I just thought like, Oh wow. Like Sarah's hit the big time. Like now there's like record label execs who are like paying off like TikTok Chinese people in like small smoke filled rooms. That was probably <laughs> racist. I didn't intend it to come across. It's not because TikTok is a Chinese company. Yeah. Yes. No, that I know. I wasn't just like coming after Chinese people. <laughs> like. The question was, Jonah Hill was hospitalized with advanced bronchitis after apparently snorting too much prop cocaine while filming what movie? That, of course, was The Wolf of Wall Street. Smoke crack with me, bro. Today we're going to talk to a longtime friend of the show, Spike Nutson, about his best friend, his pig, Diana. My name is Burt Whitecock, and this is I Love Animals, the podcast. I love animals, yes I do. I love animals, how about you? Hey there, and welcome to I Love Animals, the show where we talk about loving our pets in profoundly emotional, personal ways. Again, as always, if you're looking for the I Love Animals podcast about pet care and maintenance, please stop listening. That is a different podcast. This this is a show not just about loving animals, but about making love with animals. Spike, thanks for coming on the show. 
It's my pleasure. I, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. As you can tell, so is Diana. That's great. That's great. So what is your sex life like with Diana? Um, you know, it's pretty normal. Nothing, nothing unusual. Um, I like to make sure that Diana feels like she can express herself with me. So oftentimes we, we go back and forth pleasuring each other. Um, she's very responsive to cunnilingus. And mm-hmm. just generally, she's the she's really the perfect girlfriend, perfect wife. Uh oh! Don't tell my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Bricolage host Lev. That last sketch was, uh, to be honest, I'm not sure about that one. I recorded it in 2018 and shelved it because it was too weird. I am deeply, profoundly sorry. Thoughts and prayers for the true victims of bestiality and bad comedy. So you mentioned that you always wanted to do comedy. Were there any stand-up comedians that you particularly loved when you were starting out or when you were younger? Well, I liked all of them. It's so weird because some of the ones that I watched when I was a kid, I wouldn't even necessarily say that I enjoy them now as an adult, but I really liked the form of it. And I was actually more fascinated that like someone goes on stage and sets their point of view and has an opinion about something that I thought was fascinating. There are comics that at that time period, I didn't really laugh out loud. I just liked them as a person. I always thought Elaine Boozler was so fascinating to see like a woman talking about her dating life and like the double standard of a like a woman in a predominantly male career path. Like even at a young age, you're like, this is so fascinating to hear about this lady's life. Like I remember we were into Tim the Tool Time. There was a lot of Tim Allen had a special that did really well at the time. (laughs) I think his last name is the Tool Man. Man. Taylor. Interesting. Yeah, Tim Allen's, I'm sure he was great stand-up. All these guys who, like, got sitcoms who you're like, okay, Ray Romano, great. But, like, they they obviously had a gift for stand-up where you don't ever get to that point. They're polished. You watch them on stage. It's not easy talking about your life in a cohesive way that keeps people captivated. So even if you're not getting, if you're not making someone laugh, if you have the ability, it's like a rhythm of talking, and those people are really good at it. Like, I loved watching Roseanne Barr growing up. Up. Like, yeah, totally. I love that she kind of had this fuck it attitude. I love that she had one bit that I always liked where this guy came up to her and said, you're too manly. And she told him to suck her dick. Like, I remember being like, oh, that's so I love that attitude and the raisin of just telling somebody to suck your dick. <laughs> Because I hate confrontation yeah. where you're like, that's satisfying. I liked Bill Cosby. I would listen to his albums. I would loved Eddie Murphy, Richard uh, Pryor. Hang on, I'm, I'm getting a call from your publicist who's telling me <laughs> to cut the interview short. I never got into Cosby. My wife, Liz, who obviously you know, she was like a big Cosby fan. <laughs> Liz is going to sue me now. Yeah. But no, she like her dad would put on the... Because he was very like accessible for kids. Yeah, he had that like, dad, it's great. Those were very accessible to kids. Like you understood that. Yeah, Eddie Murphy, he had like I think a 10 minute bit on the F word not fuck but the one that's like a slur yeah. for homosexuals that um, is like very problematic Whoa, <laughs> that's so interesting I love how many female comedians you named up front I think that's awesome not that I'm like surprised by that but given that you've mentioned a couple times how male dominated the industry certainly was maybe still I know it's is. weird because when you ask, like you ask that question and you say that I think I watched a lot of female stand up Rosie O'Donnell I was a huge fan of Wendy Lieberman I would see on 
um, stand-up spotlight on VH1. They used to play that before yeah. I went to school. I know you've done a bunch of shows with Judy Gold, who's still performing. She was Huge. probably performing when you were around then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally. yeah, it's crazy when you see you're like on shows with people that you remember watching their like young HBO stand-up special. It's like a trip. Right. It's crazy. Yeah, she's great. She is very much still funny, still so sarcastic. Ellen, I'm surprised you didn't mention, but maybe you weren't no, into that's her. that's another one that I love. And I do, and I still to this day think there's a lot of stand-up like you you enjoyed then and then you go revisit and listen to it. I think her stuff still seems very timeless. It's good. Right. That's so, I feel like that's such an important compliment for a comedian is to not be topical, oh, yeah. to have something that, that lasts longer. Yeah. It just feels like a lot of stand-up or what you find funny is because it's the moment, not rather like the jokes or whatever. Like a lot of jokes sound dated after a while. Right. It's not that difficult to make, you know, a group of kids who are sitting around like the lunch table in eighth grade or ninth grade. It's not hard to give them like a belly laugh, like a deep chortle that um, is something that you as a stand-up comedian like obviously aspire to get to. But it's not that difficult to do that situationally when people are motivated to laugh. They're among friends. Like that's a totally different scenario of laughter and a type of laughter than a stand-up comedian getting on stage where it's like, all right, make me laugh. That was a long way of saying (laughs) I'm fascinated by how a comedian, because like you don't really do a lot of political stuff. Sometimes that stuff gets dated very quickly. And the sort of situational, observational stuff is the stuff that you'd think in the moment, oh, this is like not all that lofty or weighty, but actually that's what you come back to. That's what's timeless. That's what kind of lasts and still feels relevant. Yeah, it's relatable. Do you think about that? Like, do you aspire to to write jokes that um, will be funny five years from now or or is it not really like conscious? No, I wish things were more conscious like that because then I could feel like I had more control of creating, but a lot of it's just like whatever comes to you. But I don't do political because, first of all, it's not evergreen, right. but at the same time, it's like I feel like the few times that I have put myself out there it's because I've only read one side and then I get like a tweet back at me with all this other side and you're just like oh I didn't even you know put that together and now I'm in this like argument online and it's really something that I didn't want to argue I just wanted to express my opinion (laughs) and go so I I just like I'm not as well read to put that out as information, so I don't. How much do you miss performing stand-up? I know you've been doing some outdoor shows, but like I was talking to a friend recently and we were joking about how much we'd love to just like walk into like a packed, sweaty, steamy, crowded bar, shoulder to shoulder, like you can barely get past the bouncer at the front door because it's so packed. And that would be the kind of situation where I'd literally just throw up and be miserable and be like, let's go somewhere else. Like, let's go to Denny's instead, like anything. Yes. And I'm just like, aspiring to be in that now. (laughs) Meaning that you don't, that's not something that you like, right? Not at all. Like that sounds terrible to me five months ago, but right now I'm like, how great would that be? Like really loud music. I can't hear anybody. I can't get up to talk to a bartender. Like a party that I feel obliged to have gone to when I'm 24 and it's like a friend of a friend and like she's probably into like bad music and I'm in a terrible bar that I hate and everybody around me is like an seems like a terrible, awful human being. (laughs) I would kill to be in that scenario. Like, I love that idea right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love a scene. I love a scene. If You know, and it's fun to be part of one. There are aspects, like, I like being on stage, but I do not like all the other stuff of afterwards and before. I don't like the travel. Like, I did a show in the park the other day, and I did Google Maps 
to get because I'm always confused on how to get to Sheep Meadow. And it was like, take a left on 65th Street. And they made it seem like there would be entrances to the park from 65th Street. There's not. I'm just walking along a, a busy parkway with cars zipping by me and it's hot. <laughs> and I was like, this is exactly what I do not miss about going to a gig. Like huh. walking along a freeway to get to the comedy club because the hotel's across the um, venue that you're playing at, but you don't have the money to run a car or you don't want to use that. That's a pretty high expense to use. So you want to keep your bottom line. So you're, you're walking along like a busy intersection or a freeway to get to your job. Like that kind of stuff. I do not miss, but I like, as long as the obituary lists your credit, yes. I feel like it would be, <laughs> but I did it showing Q- at QED, their backyard area. And that was in my neighborhood. And it was such a nice night and everybody was doing outdoor dining. And it was nice to see everybody like having a nice time with friends and family within like social distancing, like, you know, that was safe. And then I walked to my gig and I did my spot and it was outside and I had a microphone because the one in the park, they didn't have a microphone due to permits. That was, I was like, this is nice. Like, I like this. I like it when it's easy and I like it when I get to do my show and it was a good time and I saw friends that were comics and we had a good time. That's the part I like. I like the hang at the table after you do your spot and you goof off with other comics and then being on stage telling your jokes. Those are the parts I like, but I don't like the bullshit of stand-up. What is something that people who aren't stand-up comedians don't get or don't or like misunderstand about being a stand-up comedian? It seems like you were touching on some of it, but is there anything else you can think of? Because like, I don't know, I feel like everybody has a perception of it. I know, it's so much travel and you're by yourself like a lot of the times, like especially when you're like, I don't know, every now and then it's like one or two females on a show. So then you're like this lone wolf that's going from show to show. And so you're, I'm just constantly by myself or in my head. So that part sucks. The traveling, if you don't have TSA pre-check, that's annoying. There's the constant fear of like having to create the whole time. You're always thinking that you never know when you're going to have the right moment. So you feel like you have to say yes to every gig and then, you know, cancel, you know, meaningful stuff like hanging out with your family. That part's pretty rough sometimes. It's like, those are the moments that I don't miss. Right. So, cause you don't have a schedule. It's not like you can prepare for whatever. It might be the case that, hey, this, you know, well-known act wants to bring you out on the road for an opening spot for a three-week thing. And, oh, sorry, sorry, your vacation plans. Which one? Pick one. Yeah. Also, every time I go on a trip, all of a sudden, my manager's like, here's a package. They want it done by the end of the week. And you're like, that's my full vacation. And then I get in my head of like, when I don't do it, I'm like, this is why I'm not doing anything with my life is because I'm not doing this. So it gets like this really weird feeling that you're always missing out. Like there was, I remember going Thanksgiving with my husband and he got a call from a well-known comic to come open for him. So we had to leave during Thanksgiving. Wow. It was good that he did it because then he opened for that guy for several years and it became our main source of income. That's like the mindset that you get that you feel like you have to say yes to every gig. Yeah. Well, you just alluded to the fact that your husband Joe is also a stand-up comedian. My friend, uh, Alyssa Wolf and Noah 
Savage. I don't know if you know oh, them. I love I feel them. Like all comedians know them. Yes. They always tell this story about the reactions they get from like old baby boomers when they're like on vacation in like Connecticut or wherever the heck, like somewhere where there are like old uppity types and they find out that both of them are stand up comedians and the reactions they get. Do you and Joe get those? Because I find that hilarious. Yeah. The, well, it's always the same. It's always tell me a joke. I remember one time I was at a party and my friend was using it as like a credit to introduce me to everybody. And it was so obnoxious because I had this one girl that was, she was kind of drunk and that's all she talked about. And it made me feel like I was like this huge self-centered asshole. And it wasn't, I didn't even want to talk about stand up. So it was just like, let me know what it's like. I've always wanted to do stand up. And then uh, <laughs> right. what's your favorite what joke? Tell like? me a joke right now. Do you think right I now. could do it? Yeah. <laughs> and it was all night that I had to go, I have to go to the restroom and then I just ghosted her. <laughs> but yeah, people like weirded. They're like, oh, I bet you're going to use that in an act. One time I had somebody go, oh, are you depressed? I heard all comics are depressed. And I was like, well, I am, but <laughs> like, what a weird thing to say to me. Oh, I had another guy when I bartended in Midtown at the Season Hotel. One time I told this guy that I was a stand-up comic and then he paid for his drink and our conversation was right, but I didn't find him that friendly. And he goes, well, I hope you have a good savings plan. Wow. I know. I was, he was like upset for me for making like a horrifically irresponsible financial decision with what my life. What a fucking dipshit. Yeah. Who the hell <laughs> drinks in a hotel in Midtown anyway? The guy's probably having an affair or like divorced yeah, or in the something. throes of one. I don't know what it was, but you <laughs> get like this weird, sometimes you get like anger or like some. Yeah. Jealousy. Yeah. Jealousy. But I don't understand that where you're like, it'll be like, I'm in their house party or whatever. And you're like, your home looks amazing. Do you know that I live with four roommates right now? <laughs> right. The only reason why I say jealousy is, as you know, I'm I'm not a stand-up comedian, but my my first love very much was, and, and I would say remains, comedy. I do this podcast in part to keep me sane, and I think the grass is always greener for anybody, yes. right? Like, for you as a stand-up comedian, you look around and you're like, oh, my friend who used to do comedy with me, like, decided to get, like, go corporate and get, like, an ad agency job or whatever, and, like, now she has a 401k, like, shit, yeah, what do I do? Stability, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I am like, oh, Sarah, wow, <laughs> so cool. She's like this badass. She's doing it. Like, it's scary, and she's out on a ledge, and she's doing it, and she's crushing it, and that's so cool. That's awesome. But to you, you're probably like, well, Eric, like... No, it always, it is. It's really funny, because I've talked to, like, I'll find out that this comic that I think is great that feels like she's doing way better than I am. I found out that she has twice tried to sign up to become a nurse, and I'm like, that's so fucking funny to me, because I think every comic that I've talked to, even the ones that you think are great, are always signing up for college classes and then drop at the last minute because we're always like maybe I made a wrong decision <laughs> so it's a constant thing it's always happening I mean yeah it takes a certain level of bravado and gravitas to be like I'm going to be this I'm going to do this I'm going to go and tell jokes on stage I can do this about me and revealing my personality and my quirks and all this stuff it takes a certain personality to be able to do that to have the confidence to do that and I think one of the quirks is self-doubt just like yeah. everlasting eternal self-doubt and that's good that's how you're able to be so inquisitive and so um, skeptical which is like what makes it funny right but I don't know maybe maybe not maybe there's like a hyper confident stand up comedian I'm not sure I haven't met one maybe you have I haven't either but you know what's so funny sometimes there's quite a few lawyers that do stand up or like got into it and I feel like right. lawyers and stand up kind of have the same mind 
that you're always looking for another route to think of things because you guys are always like trying to find loopholes and laws and you know use logic but you can use all these like amendments and things and it's theory and all that stuff to for your argument and i feel like stand-ups do it but we do it with punchline i've never been in court i'm not that kind of lawyer so i don't like do any of that the only lawyer i can think of who became like a really successful stand-up is greg giraldo yeah there are probably others that i'm not thinking of jl colvin was a lawyer yeah and then i've known i think her name's Busa, last name is Busa. I forgot her first name. She's, a, I think, a lawyer. I went to law school with a woman who you probably know, and her name is escaping me, but she never practiced law. She was just like became a stand-up. Ashley Barnhill is the name of the woman I'm thinking of. I don't know if you know her. I know her. She went in Austin for a long time, and then she lives yes. in L.A. now. She's very funny. There are others that I can't think of or at least had practiced law and then changed their mind and done something else or done law, and then they didn't like it, and then they pursued stand-up. Like, like I had a friend that I went to school with that did law and then he got into doing stand up and sketch. That's awesome. But it feels like the same mindset of just like, cause a lot of comedians are contrarian. So you, doesn't it feel like with law that you, when, especially when you have to defend somebody that's not on the side of the public eye, you have to figure out a way to get them for their case to, for them to be not guilty. Yeah. You have to think about like another perspective. Unfortunately, again, I have only ever been like a contract lawyer. Yeah. So the, the like sort of, uh, 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 what the fuck is that guy's name from kill a mockingbird? Oh, I forgot, but I just watched it. Yeah, the lofty kind of um, like statesman or stateswoman theory of of the legal profession that you're espousing, I'm a huge fan of. But it's mostly just like a bunch of lawyers for insurance companies suing each other and destroying society. (laughs) Friday, Apollo, PG, the proverbial baker's dozen, 13 episodes. Pretty amazing. Want to tell me I'm an idiot for forgetting Atticus Finch's name? Are you the girl at the party that Sarah had to ghost? Email podcastbricolage at gmail.com and tell me about it. This has been Bricolage, created and hosted by Lev. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. Theme song, sponsor song, and trivia song written by Alex Schiff. Special thanks to Sarah Tolamash. Creative Commons attribution credits are in the text description of each episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe and leave a good review. And if you didn't, to paraphrase Roseanne, you can lick my pussy. Yeah.